Today's scripture will be taken out of Philippians 3, verses 1 through 11. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for those evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to the zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth I have knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Amen. Thank you, Annabeth. Well, good morning, church. How are we doing? Doing well? Good, good. Well, if we haven't met, uh, my name is Nate Massey. I'm the senior pastor here at Hillcrest Christian Church, and um, I'm happy that you're here. I'm happy that you're worshiping with us. Do just that. Just worship Jesus and listen to the Word of God. My prayer is that uh, God's Word would, would empower us to be the church of Jesus Christ, not only in this building, but outside of this building. So if you're new, and maybe this is your first time, we've been in a series called Build Community, and we're studying Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. It's a book in the Bible called Philippians, and we are learning what it looks like. Paul is really showing us, rather, what what it looks like to be a community of followers of Jesus, a community of believers as the church. And so today we're just going to continue in that series, and I want to pose a question. I don't don't know if you've ever been asked this in your life, maybe maybe you have, but uh, has anybody ever asked you, why do you believe what you believe? Perhaps that's, that's a question that's been asked, maybe not. If anybody should ever ask you that question, why do you believe what you believe? What would you say? Because it's important. It really is important on what you would say and how you would answer that question, why you believe what you believe. The Apostle Peter actually kind of warns us that, hey, it, it may come. Uh, someone may ask you, and he says this in 1 Peter 3, verse 15, says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So if somebody were to ask you this question, why do you believe what you believe, what might you say? Because essentially that's what makes you a Christian. Somebody were to ask you, why do you believe what you believe? Your answer is going to lead them to believe, for, for them to think that's why you're a Christian. That's what makes you a follower of Jesus. There are many different answers that people uh, may give when it comes to why or how we think or feel that we are Christian. You know, well, I I was raised in a church, and so, you know, that's why I believe what I I believe. Uh, My parents are Christians, and so by default, you know, I'm a Christian. Uh, I prayed this prayer one time at a camp, and so, you know, that's why I believe what I believe. Uh, That's why I'm a Christian, because I prayed a prayer. How might you define who a Christian is? Somebody were to ask you, Tell me what or who a Christian is. How might you define who a Christian is? Or what even a Christian looks like? There was a guy who, when I was going to church and just becoming a new Christian, um, I was a part of a life group, right? I encourage you to be a part of a life group. 
I was, became, I was encouraged to be a part of a life group one time. And in this life group, there was this guy who was always talking. He was about my age. He was always talking. Um, he was always asking questions even. And he was always, uh, you know, intrigued by what we were talking about based on the Bible. And months later, he wasn't there. So I asked, hey, where, where's, it, where's this guy at? You know, he was always there every week for, you know, several months. And, and I haven't seen him for several months. Where is he? He said, well, he kind of, you know, he was here. He, he wanted to learn. He was intrigued. But then he fell away. Um, but I learned that he was actually an atheist. He wasn't a Christian at all. So you can come to a life group. You can come to church. You can be raised in church. That doesn't make you a Christian. That young man was there just as I was, learning, listening, but he wasn't even a believer. In our text today, I, I believe Paul shows us who a Christian is. And I think he shows us even why we're Christian. And so I want to offer up three points this morning um, as to why I believe Paul shows us, uh, as a community of believers, what actually makes us uh, Christian. Because it's Christ, right, that makes us a Christian. It's nothing more and nothing less. And I believe that Paul shows us that. And so Paul opens up in verse 1. He says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. In other words, Paul has, has, he already knows these Christians he's writing to in Philippi. And Paul's saying, look, there was a time when I told you this, and it's no problem. It's no issue for me at all. It's not a burden for me at all to tell you the same things again. Most likely when Paul was with him in person, he described to them who the church is, what a Christian looks like, what a follower of Jesus looks like. Paul's so passionate about Jesus that he says, look, it's no trouble for me to share the same things with you. It's no trouble uh, for me to share the gospel of Christ with you. And it's fascinating uh, because Paul's the one who brought the gospel to them in Philippi, if you remember. He shared, he's the one who shared the gospel with them. In fact, it was Paul who shared the gospel with a lot of people. And all of these years later, as Paul is in a jail cell, he writes, look, it is no trouble for me to share the gospel with you once again. In fact, he says, it's a safeguard for you. And we're going to learn why. Because the gospel is a simple message, is it not? I mean, it's very simplistic of a message, yet at the very same time, it's profoundly misunderstood. It's profoundly misunderstood. And there were some Christians in Philippi uh, who had obviously misunderstood uh, the simplicity of the gospel. Yet at the very same time, although it's, it's simple, and, and, and then it's profound, then there's some meaning in there, right? There's something missing from someone that Paul's reinstating, hey, here's what the gospel is. It's no trouble for me to write this to you. And I love what he says. Uh, this is of great importance. It's no trouble for me. So, so Paul, when he writes this letter, if you start from Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, and all the way to Philippians 4, uh, the end of the letter, Paul sums up the gospel as a whole. And he, he talks about how the gospel not only transforms people's lives, but the gospel is the center of the church, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is. Now, if you remember the guy I talked about last week, he carried a Bible with him all the time when he went to church. Not only that, but he was really fancy. He had a, he had a bag that he could keep his Bible in. And so he came to church week after week after week, carrying this Bible in his bag, yet he never opened it. Although he, he would have told me, yeah, I'm a Christian. I mean, I, I come to church every single week. I bring my Bible with me every single week. That makes me a Christian. So not only do I come to church not only do I bring my Bible to church, because there's some, some people who aren't bringing their Bible, so by default, that makes me a Christian. There's no doubt about that. 
So when I go to church and I bring my Bible, by definition, that makes me a Christian. And I think that there's a lot of that going around today. In fact, there was a lot of that going around in Paul's day. And Paul says, look, it is no trouble of me to write the same things to you. Because apparently there's an issue in the church. And so this is a safeguard for you. Church, we should never grow tired of the gospel. Now we know it's the gospel that saves. And so now we're a part of a church because we're saved and, and we know it's the gospel that saves. But we should never grow tired of the gospel. Never grow tired of the gospel. And that's why Paul writes this. It doesn't matter how innovative we can become. It doesn't matter how, uh, how many ideas we can have. It doesn't matter how smart we can become. We can go to the whiteboard and we can write down all of the, the big ideas everybody has to make Christ known. But it's the gospel that saves. And Paul is saying, don't lose sight of what's most important. It's not... It's no trouble of me to write the same things to you. It's the gospel that saves. And so Paul says, look, I need to set the record straight because there are some people who are, who are believing in Christ, but they're adding things to Christ. And the problem in the church then, we see, and the problem in the church today is legalism. This is ultimately what Paul is getting at. Paul is emphasizing there's, there's legalistic people in the church, and so I need to set the record straight. What is it to be legalistic? It's thinking that we have to obtain justification from God. It's thinking that we have to somehow earn God's forgiveness. And ultimately, legalism is to think that we have to work and earn our salvation. We have to work and we have to earn our right standing with God. That's what it means to be legalistic. And Paul's saying, I'm writing you because I need to set the record straight. It's not Jesus plus other things. It's just Jesus. In fact, it's Jesus plus nothing. And Paul says, I need to set the record straight. Because Paul is, is about to show us you, you can't earn any of those things. Justification, forgiveness, salvation, sanctification. You can't earn them. You can't earn them. They're all gift to be received. And the problem is the church, in the church back then when Paul writes this letter and today is that there are Christians, people who, who claim to know Christ. If you would, were to walk up to them and say, hey, are you a Christian? Absolutely, I'm a Christian. People are claiming to be followers of Jesus. And they're either confused or they're misunderstood because they're denying the power of the gospel every single day. Paul even talks about this in Galatians 3, if you've read that. He says in the very first verse of chapter 3, he says, as he writes Galatians, he says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? I bet you didn't know that word was in the ESV, it says bewitched. But he's saying, who has deceived you? You foolish Christians, he might be saying. Who has deceived you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed, crucified. In other words, the final and finished work is done. That's what Paul's saying. Let me ask you, he says in verse 2, did you receive the Holy Spirit by works of the law or by hearing by faith? He says it's by faith you receive justification. It's by faith that you receive God's acceptance. It's by faith you receive uh, God's forgiveness. If you try and work for it as if it's up to you, You'll only grow tired and become weary, and you'll end up being exhausted to the point of just giving up. This happens often. 
because of your weariness, you can be easily led astray. So Paul says, I need to set the record straight. There are people in the church who think they have to do all of these things to earn God's favor. There are people in the church that, that think they have to do all of these things, serve in all of these different areas. If, I could, if God would just see all of the things I'm doing, then He would, he would love me. And he would, he would give more favor in my life if I do more stuff. And Paul's addressing that. It's legalism. It's not Jesus and stuff. It's not Jesus and things. It's not Jesus and, and works. It's Jesus and nothing. So Paul goes on in verse 2. He says, and he's talking about, look, these are the people you need to be concerned about. You need to watch out for these people. He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the, the evildoers, he calls them. Look out for those who muti, muti, uh, mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law. Paul says, I was blameless. So my first point this morning is, uh, what makes us a community of believers isn't religion, it's Jesus. This is what Paul is showing us in, in Philippians chapter 3. What makes us a, a, a community of followers of Jesus Christ is not religion, it's Jesus. So Paul says, look out for those dogs. How many of you in this room love dogs? I mean, I love dogs. I have a dog. My wife wants a second dog. She, even last night, she said, what about three dogs? I'm like, one's good, two's enough. Three is pushing it. But we love dogs, right? You love dogs. And, and um, in fact, we go to great lengths um, to show how much, just how much we love dogs. I think I have a picture here. So this is PetSmart. And these are, this is just one aisle of toys um, that are available for you or me to buy for our dogs. And if you've ever been to PetSmart, you know that those toys are not cheap. But we go to great lengths to show just how much we love our dogs by buying them these toys. Not only that, but we, we pay a lot of money to have our dogs groomed. In fact, it's gotten so crazy that you don't even have to go to a grooming place to have your dog groomed. They'll just come to your house. And you can go in that van and you can watch them be groomed. That's how much we love dogs. Now, when Paul says, watch out for those dogs, he's not talking about little cute uh, chihuahuas or, you know, Paul. They had a vastly different understanding of what dogs were back then. Vastly different. In fact, the way they viewed dogs is they were unclean. They were dangerous. They were nasty animals. And so Paul says, look out for those dangerous people. Look out for those nasty people. Look out for those wicked people. And the people that Paul is referring to is a group of people a religious sect of people called the Judaizers. They were Orthodox Jews who became Christians, apparently, or supposedly, but continued to keep the law of Moses. And so, in other words, they were getting on board to an extent of what the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ was, but then they were keeping to the law of Moses. So it was Jesus plus the law of Moses. In other words, they were convincing people, people outside of the Jewish faith, the Gentiles, hey, look, if you want to follow Jesus, that's great, but if you want to become a Jew first, you have to... You have to keep the law of Moses. And Paul's saying that's not what, what it is. That's not what Christianity is. You don't, have to, you don't have to have Jesus and the law. Jesus came to fulfill the law. He didn't come to abolish it, but he came to fulfill it. And these, there's people out there saying, look, it's necessary for salvation 
You have to keep the law and Jesus. And so Paul calls them dogs, which is actually ironic because the people who are reading this letter in Philippi, most of them, not all of them, but most of them were considered Gentiles. Now, Gentiles were outside of the Jewish faith. And the Jews often refer to Gentiles as dogs. And now they're reading this letter thinking, oh my gosh, we're not the dogs anymore. Jews are dogs too. And Paul's calling his own people dogs. He's saying, look, guys, there are dogs out there. There are evil people. Paul's flipping the script right here, and he's saying, look, don't worry about what they've been saying about you. They're the dogs. They're the ones who are trying to convince you that Jesus isn't enough. And they're leading people astray. Because although they have Jesus, supposedly, they're trying to keep people under the law of Moses. And under the law of Moses was so burdensome. They say you have to become a Jew first before you can be saved, and that wasn't true. And so they're leading people astray. And in fact, if you're reading in the Bible reading plan, just a couple of weeks ago, we saw this. This was addressed with the apostles and other believers. In Acts 15, verse 1, it says, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And so a group of the apostles, the apostle Paul was there, other disciples, they meet in Jerusalem, and Paul just sets the record straight. It's by grace through faith, not by works is what Paul uh, ultimately tells them. You don't have to uh, become uh, Jewish or submit to rules or law to be saved. Jesus is enough. See, this was even a problem with the Jews who had received Christ, some of the apostles. And so they had to set the record straight. There's guys that, that are teaching a false gospel. And so these Judaizers, they continue to preach a mixture of law and grace. And so Paul was always combating them. And he compares them to dirty dogs. He says, these are evil and wicked men. They're troublemakers. They're, they're leading people astray. Because anybody today who tries to add to Jesus, Jesus plus something, is borderline satanic. That's ultimately what Paul's saying. Now that's a, a profound, or that's a, that's a bold statement to say that, that anybody who's trying to add to Jesus is satanic. Who more than Satan wants to keep you from God? Who more than Satan wants to keep you from receiving God's gracious gift of eternal life? So to say that it's Jesus plus something else to receive salvation, to receive God's favor, is borderline satanic. And Paul's saying you need to watch out for those wicked people. They're leading people astray. Paul even says in Romans 3, For we, have, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So it's clear you don't need the law to come to Christ. You just need Christ. And Paul says it's by faith that we receive eternal life. So in other words, Jesus is sufficient enough for our salvation. Through His blood shed on the cross, that's how we come to Christ. That's how we receive salvation, by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing more, nothing less. And so Paul calls them mutilators of the flesh. In fact, he uses the word flesh three different times in this passage. And the point he's making is, is people are trying to do all of these outward things to earn God's favor. If I could just serve more, then God will love me the way they love that person. If I just serve more, then God will bless me the way that they're blessing other people. I need to get to the church really early and start doing the things because I want people to see that I really love Jesus. And if I get there early enough, or if I stay late enough, then people will know that I'm really committed to Christ. And it's not our outward things that we receive justification 
or forgiveness or salvation. It's through Jesus Christ alone and His shed blood on the cross. You want eternal life? Look to the cross of Jesus Christ. You don't need to come to a building. You don't need to set up shop. You don't need to do the things in order to receive salvation. You want to be made right with God? You go to Christ. He's the only way to the Father, full of grace and truth. So Paul, is, he becomes very transparent in how he's trying to uh, explain his reasoning why you don't need things. It's not your flesh. It's not outward things that, that you earn right standing with God. And, and Paul becomes very transparent at this point. And he says, look, if you think you can earn Christ, look at my life. I dominated the system, Paul says. I was the president, the CEO, the CFO, the biggest fan of a works-based faith. That's who Paul was. He says, if anyone, in verse 4, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, and as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul's saying, I was perfect in keeping the law, and it wasn't enough. So Paul says, if any of you are trying to come into the family of God, I was born in it. Dating all the way back to the history of my family. And my family was committed to the law. And so I was born into a family that was committed to the law. When people think of the Hebrew people, the Hebrew nation, they think of me and my family heritage. As for the law, I was a teacher of it. I had most of it memorized. And as for zeal, I was so committed to the old standard of the law that anybody who tried to come against it, like the, like, the, like the way, the Christians, those who believed in the resurrection, I persecuted them. That's how committed I was to the law. And Paul says, as for righteousness, I accepted nothing less than perfection. Every single one of us is tempted to be like Paul. We can all be tempted to accept nothing less than perfection. So Paul says, if you think you can earn your way to Christ or build up a big enough resume in hopes of earning your salvation, Paul says, think again. It won't happen. And if you look at Paul's list, it's actually really impressive. The only problem was it was religious. It was a very religious list. I mean, Paul was the most religious out of all of them. That's what he's saying. Paul was so arrogant because of his religion, and he was so prideful because of his religion that when a new covenant was introduced, Jesus walks the earth and introduces a new covenant. Paul couldn't even fathom it. That's how committed he was to his religion. And he was so arrogant, so prideful, and so boastful in his religion, he couldn't even fathom something better, something greater, something more powerful, like the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he became very angry and very violent towards it. Paul had stepped he had reached the, the, the peak of Mount Everest when it, kept, when it came to uh, his religion. Paul was at the top. And everybody else was looking to Paul. Paul was the religious giant in the faith, in their religion. And he says, that's not who we are anymore. It may have been who we once were, but it's not who we are anymore. He says, for we are the circumcision. We worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Paul says that in verse 3. In other words, this has nothing to do with where you came from. It has nothing to do with where you went to church. It has nothing to do with how you were raised, whether you were raised in the church or not. Uh, those are good things. Uh, but, but ultimately, it doesn't come down to just those things. 
doesn't matter if you were baptized as an infant baby, although the sentiment is still good. doesn't matter if you even went to a religious or Christian school. It doesn't matter if you prayed a prayer one time in your life. Paul says it's the Spirit of God coming into our lives. It's the Spirit of the living God coming to live inside you and guiding you in all that you do. You no longer have to try and, and, and live the Christian life. You just live the Christian life. It's just a part of your DNA. The, the Spirit of the living God indwells you. I say that all the time. I think sometimes we forget that the power of God indwells us. And it's Him that leads us to live, live the Christian life. It's not all the things. Paul is saying this is an internal change of the heart. This isn't done by the flesh. It's a circumcision of your heart. God cares about our hearts. So Paul says, you can go to church. That's great. You can be in a life group. That's awesome. And it is. It's very good. But does Christ live in you? That's ultimately what Paul is getting at. Does Christ live in you? Does Christ live in you, Paul says? Has your life been changed? Has your life been changed? Have you been transformed by the power of Christ? Do you desire to, to seek the things of God? Is there conviction in your life when you're living in sin? Do you have conviction? That's evidence that the Spirit of God lives in you. Are you passionate about the Gospel? That's why Paul says, it's no trouble of me to remind you of this Gospel. This Gospel has power. Are you passionate about the Gospel? Or do you just come to church because you've always come to church? Because there are a lot of people who do that too. Religion is rampant in our culture today. But the thing about religion is it's never as good as having a relationship. Paul says, I had religion. I tried religion. But it was never as good as knowing Christ. Paul's about to explain just how much he wants to know Christ. Being religious has nothing to do with knowing Christ. And Paul shows us that. He goes on in verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. My second point is what makes us a community of believers is knowing the most valuable treasure we have is Jesus. That is what makes us a community of followers of Christ. It's knowing that we have the most valuable treasure. Jesus. That's what brings us together. Now, I'm not sure uh, what sort of things or even memories or experiences that you hold of great value in your life. Uh, if we were to take a poll, I would, I would say that everybody would have a different opinion on, on what types of things that you hold of great uh, value in your life. Something I hold of great value in my life is I got to see Michael Jordan play in person. Now, granted, he was 40 years old. He was on the Wizards. He only had 13 points, and he actually missed a dunk. So he wasn't on the Bulls. He wasn't in his prime, but I got to see Michael Jordan up close. In fact, I was only 13 rows back. I was supposed to be in the nosebleeds, but me and my friend got there early, and we snuck down. And every time somebody came to sit in the seats that were actually there, we just moved around. And I got to be 13 rows from Michael Jordan. And then when people left because the Mavericks were blowing out the Wizards, again, Michael Jordan was 40, um, I got to go down to the very first row. And I was as close, if not closer, from here to that first row, Michael Jordan. See, I hold that of great value in my life. Maybe you have a memory or a time or experience that you hold of great value. Stories that you can tell friends and family. Something else that I hold of great value 
is a, this is an autographed John Elway card. So John Elway is one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play um, the game of football. He won two Super Bowls. He has an incredible amount of records. I have his autograph. I hold this of great value. This is an autograph portrait of Jerry Rice. Now, Jerry Rice is the greatest wide receiver who's ever played the game of football. He's won Super Bowls too. I have his autograph. I hold this of great value. When I was a kid in Sports Illustrated, they would put um, the addresses of the, the stadium facilities um, in the Sports Illustrated. So if you were a kid, you could write letters. And I wrote letters to everyone. And John Elway and Jerry Rice wrote back autographed cards. At least I think it was them who wrote it. It probably wasn't. But I do believe and still believe that they autographed the cards. <laughs> Let's be real, they didn't actually write the letter. But I hold those things of great value, and I always will. And I'm sure that each one of you have memories, or you have things, or autographs, or whatever it is that you hold of great value. I always wanted a college degree, and I finally got it, and I got that certificate, that diploma of a college degree. I was ordained into the ministry, and I hold that of great value. I have that certificate. Those are things that I hold of great value. We all have things that we hold of great value. Something that you may hold of great value could be money. could be the house that you live in. It could be the business that you've built. It could be the bank account that you have, and, and you've set up a way for you to provide for your children years after you're gone. You may hold that of great value. It, it can be money as well, but whatever it is, Paul shows us that all of his accomplishments, all of the things that he held of great value, all of the things that he earned, the certificates that he received, the things that he was even were given just from being born into, Paul says, it all counts for nothing. Everything that I worked for, even the things that were received and given to me, I count it all as nothing. He says, whatever gain I had, I count it all as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. Paul's saying, all those things I did, I cannot take into eternity with. These cards... I can't take into eternity with. My degree that I worked so hard for, I can't take into eternity with. Paul says everything that I earned and everything that was even given to me based on my family heritage, it's all worth nothing to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ. He says in verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. He says nothing it's all garbage is what Paul is saying. In order that I might gain Christ and be found in Him, I had to let all of those things go. I had to throw them in the garbage so that I might gain Christ. That's what Paul's saying. So I want to show you just a quick illustration to kind of help what, uh, bring home what Paul's talking about here. Paul says, look, I was circumcised on the eighth day. That was a Jewish tradition. To be circumcised on the eighth day doesn't mean anything. Paul says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Whenever people think of the Hebrew nation, they think of me and my family. That doesn't mean anything. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. When you go around and you see the Pharisees, all of the religious leaders, those who know the Scriptures, they have the Scriptures memorized, they teach the Scriptures. Yeah, meant nothing. Paul says, I had the law memorized. People came to me to receive the law. People came to me to be taught the law to them. And I had it memorized. I didn't have to go and look for the scroll. I had it all memorized. But it meant nothing. As to righteousness under the law, I was perfect. 
Everybody's striving for perfection, but I was, I was perfect. I had the law blameless. But to what end? It meant nothing. And as to zeal, when this new way of Christianity was introduced, I tried to put a stop to it. Because I was so religious and so boastful in my religion. And I was so zealous for my religion that I persecuted anything that tried to get in the way of that. And it meant nothing. It did not mean anything. It was all for nothing. It's just garbage. And I gave it all away so that I could gain Christ. That's what Paul's saying. What would that mean in 2021 for us? I grew up in the church, so that makes me a Christian. By default, I'm a Christian. But growing up in the church is not a bad thing, obviously. Obviously. But when it comes to knowing Christ, it doesn't mean anything. It's Christ we want. It's Christ we need. Baptized as a baby. The sentiment is good. Paul says, when it comes to my salvation, when it comes to our salvation... It doesn't contribute. It wasn't a decision that, that I made. Prayed a prayer at some point in my life. Maybe the sentiment there is good, but what's your life after that? Are you being discipled? Are you in a household with parents who want to raise you up to know the Lord? See, that matters. And ultimately, when you have Christ, then that matters. But praying a prayer at some point in your life doesn't mean anything. I'm saved, so, so now my sin doesn't matter? I'm saved, so, so my sin doesn't matter. That's not Christianity. That's not what it means to know Christ. And I go to church more than most people. That's, that's not what makes us a Christian, is it? I go to church, so other people go to church. What about the things that we hold of value? You know, our degrees. How about a marriage license? Marriage is biblical, so let's all just get that straight. God honors marriage. But if we hold our marriage higher than Christ then that's not a good thing. If we consider the things that we hold value in life of greater value than Jesus, then we've missed the point. I'm going to take this out because I don't trust this trash can, but... <laughs> but the point is, Paul is saying, look, there's all things that we hold of great value. Every single one of us is the same. There's things in, in this life that we value. But Paul's saying, look, you have to come to a point in your life where does Christ matter more or do these things matter more? And Paul says, for me, I gave it all away. It was all garbage when it came to knowing Christ. In fact, it had nothing to do with knowing Jesus. And so I gave it all away. It was all garbage in comparison to knowing Christ Jesus. Paul says, I had it all. I achieved it all. I did it all. I climbed the Mount Everest of religious perfection. But then he says, it was all for nothing. It never even mattered because God was after my heart. It's the same for every person in this room. All of the things, they may look good on the outside, but where's your heart at? God cares about our hearts. God wants to see hearts turned for Him. Because when your heart is, is turned to God truly and sincerely, then you will begin to live the Christian life as you were meant and created to be. Identifying as a, as a Christian is, means nothing. It doesn't mean anything. To, to say you're a Christian means nothing. What does your life look like? Where is your heart at? God cares about our hearts. He doesn't care about claiming. He cares more about your heart. God cares is more concerned about your heart. 
And Paul is making, he's so emphatic on telling them that. If you read your Bible simply to just read your Bible, you'll start to give up. You'll give up. But if you read your Bible because you want to know Christ, that's having a desire and a heart turn towards God. Because the weight of trying to please God in the flesh wears off when Christ lives in you. It begins to fade. That's the promise that Jesus makes to all of us when we come to Him by faith. He says, Come to Me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn from Me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. The weight of trying to keep the law as an Old Testament in the Old Testament times as a Jew was so burdensome. It was so exhausting that Jesus says, Come to me, and I will pick that burden up for you. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. That's our memory verse for this month. It's three verses. They're powerful words. When you're this treasure in life becomes Jesus. Your life will begin to transform and God will begin to use you in such mighty ways. He says, for this is the love of God. Uh, this is 1 John 5, verse 3. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. Isn't that good to know? That the commandments that we are to follow as, as followers of Jesus aren't burdensome. They're not a burden to us. And so Paul shows us all of these things he did was nothing more than just an effort to try and please God. So Paul says, I count all things as loss so I might gain Christ and be found in Him. And then he goes on in verse 10, he says, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And I'm going to end here in my third point. My third point is what makes us a community of believers is our desire to know Christ more. What makes us a community of believers is our desire to know Christ more. It's very interesting. Paul says, I want to know Christ. That's Paul. That's what he says. He says, I want to know Christ. Well, what are you talking about, Paul? You already know Christ. You know Christ more than anybody. You're the one who came to share Christ with a lot of people. You've led a lot of people to Jesus. Paul, you've, you've planted churches. You've made disciples. You're the great apostle Paul. You want to know Christ? Paul, you know him. Paul says, I want to know him more. I want to know the power of his resurrection. And I want to share in his sufferings. See, Paul was suffering in this moment as he writes this letter. Paul was suffering. He was in jail. Yet he knew he served a resurrected Lord. You see, if you came in here this morning and you are in some form or fashion suffering, it's important for you to know that you are not suffering alone. Jesus suffered all things. Jesus set the example. He showed us what it really means to suffer. He died for our sins and He rose from the dead. So Paul says, I want to I know the power of the resurrection. Paul, as he's suffering in jail, knows that he serves a resurrected Lord. And that's powerful. As he sits in jail, at the end of his life, Paul is sitting in a jail cell writing these words, accomplishing all that he did for the name of Jesus. And what does Paul say? I want to know Christ. I want to know Him. So how do we answer the question, who is a Christian? How do we answer the question, who is a Christian? 
Jesus answers that for us. He says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and the one who you have sent, Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus says. This is eternal life, that they may know you. Paul's at the end of his life, done all that he did in the name of Jesus, and he says, I just want to know Christ more. I want to know Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian, isn't it? But we want to know Christ more. This is what, this is what unites us, church. We don't come here just, just to come here. We don't come here because we were raised here and so we come back. And, and we don't come here just, just because uh, our parents came here. Or, or we don't go to church because we have friends that go to We come here to know more of Christ. And that's, by the way, the point of a life group. Getting plugged into a life group. Getting, doing community with other people outside of this building. You see, you learn more about Jesus through the lives of other people. You learn more about Jesus and His Word, and that's why we read it. You learn more about Jesus when you come to a place, you gather with the saints, and you worship the resurrected Lord. You learn more about Jesus. Paul's at the end of his life says, I just want to know Him more. I want to know Him more. That's my prayer for every person in this room, every member of Hillcrest Christian Church. From this point on, moving forward, I pray that every single one of us wants to know Christ more. You want to be a representation of the power of the gospel? Get to know Christ more, and you will. You want to have have an effect on your kids? You want to raise them up to know the Lord? You want your neighbors to know Jesus? Get to know Christ more. Don't settle for just being raised in the church. Get to know Christ more. Don't settle for just being baptized as a young kid. Get to know Christ more. Don't settle for... You know, I went to a Christian school and I was raised to know these things. And, and so, you know, I was baptized and I think I'm saved. And so now I'm just going to live how, how I want to live. Don't settle for that. Get to know Christ more. That's why we're here. We don't have to wait to go to heaven. We can know Him here. And so let's stand to worship together. Uh, as we worship this during this song, you can come forward if you want prayer. You can go in the prayer room and pray. Just know that it's not coming to church that that you receive eternal life, that you receive salvation. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone that we are redeemed, that we are set free, that we are granted eternal life by faith in the resurrected Lord. So let's worship together, church.